0: We all do things our own way, and since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited-edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details.
1: No one has made better use of free media than Pete Buttigieg, a once-unknown Midwest mayor who has broken through the clutter of 21 other Democratic presidential candidates to become the party's one-man future, if not their nominee. There's few places he wouldn't go and few people he wouldn't talk to, from small-town regional press to big cable news shows, Ellen to an obscure environmental newsletter, Bill Maher to Barstool Sports, The Breakfast Club, to a podcast devoted to the old Aaron Sorkin show, The West Wing. As a result, he has quickly become a household name with a real chance at the nomination. Contrast that with Joe Biden, a familiar entity with nearly half a century in politics. He announced he's running last week and, to my count, has since appeared on just two media outlets. The View, where he made his announcement, and Good Morning America, in a taped interview that ran this week. Is Biden missing out where Buttigieg is cashing in? Joining me now, the press secretary for Biden's 2008 presidential campaign, Mark Postenbach, and former senior advisor to Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential campaign, Kevin Sheridan. First, Kevin, congrats. I hear you're like a very recent new dad.
0: I am. Thank you, SE. We're very right. happy.
1: Uh, best to your wife, who's, who's sharing <laughs> you with us tonight. Uh, she's a she bigger, Thank bigger you. woman than I. Um, OK, so, Mark, <laughs> let me start with you. I get it. Buttigieg is introducing himself to America and Biden doesn't have to do that. He's a known commodity. But I think he should pretend he isn't and go everywhere. Podcasts, digital outlets, even Fox News. Uh, What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, you know, I think um, Mayor Pete's, in a, as you said, in a much different position. Um, You know, he didn't come from a major uh, media market. He wasn't a member of Congress. And so, therefore, he did have to reintroduce himself. His name ID, if you will, was very, very low. And so, as you said, sort of leading into this, he hit uh, local media. He hit national media. He hit basically every spot you could possibly think of. Um, Vice President Biden, on the other hand, um, has universal name ID. So what he was able to do with his announcement was actually draw contrast between himself and Trump he didn't necessarily need to uh, mix it up as much but I do think it's still very very early and I think he'll engage very forcefully um, with I the media so. at all levels
1: yeah I hope so I mean Kevin I think we need to see a Biden that we've never seen before right. that's hard because we've known him for you know a hundred years um, I don't think we're gonna see a Joe Biden we haven't seen before unlike the Sunday shows so is it possible for someone we've known for so long to shake loose our cemented notions of who he is.
0: Well, that's his challenge. I mean, we need to see if Joe Biden can stand on his own. Right now, what he's he's uh, made his campaign about two things. One, uh, this country is not who we are. Uh, this uh, you know, this is you know, not Donald Trump's America, this is Barack Obama's America. Unfortunately, he's going backwards in time to Barack Obama. And Barack Obama proved over and over again that Barack Obama was great at getting himself elected. The only other Democrat he ever got elected was Joe Biden when he ran on the same ticket with him. He's not running this time with him. Mm. So Joe Biden has to come out with his own agenda, his own positive, optimistic agenda for what he's going to do, especially for those swing voters.
1: Not beat Trump in a hypothetical head-to-head matchup in the latest CNN poll. Basil, I said it here often and early. Her campaign is DOA. Take it from Bernie. Interesting. Uh Basil, Charlie, always so great to have you you both here. Uh, When we come back, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo will meet with his Russian counterpart next week. The main topic of discussion is likely to be Venezuela. There's a lot at stake here for the U.S. interests, and that's up next. The ongoing crisis in Venezuela is far from over, with the opposition regrouping and President Nicolas Maduro standing firm for now. This follows a week of deadly protests and an apparently failed coup coup attempt by opposition leader and U.S. recognized interim President Juan Guaido. At one point, the long-awaited moment seemed close at hand, with word Maduro had a plane ready for takeoff to flee the country. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said Russia encouraged Maduro to stay and hold firm. The uprising turned deadly and ultimately failed because while Guaido had the support of scores of nations, including the U.S., he didn't have enough support from Venezuela's military leaders. And that's what you need for a coup. President Trump weighed in on Friday, drastically downplaying Russia's push to exploit the crisis.
3: I had a very good talk with President Putin. Venezuela was one of the topics and he is... Uh, not looking at all to get involved in Venezuela other than he'd like to see something positive happen for Venezuela.
1: Others in the administration, though, say Russia does want to get involved, including Secretary of State Pompeo. He's set to meet next week with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. We're going to talk about why Venezuela matters in a minute. But first, CNN's Paula Newton is live in Caracas. Paula, what are the latest developments you're seeing on the ground?
4: S.E., uh, good to see you. You know, the military uh, here, any slogan that they were given by the opposition, it all fell on deaf ears. I just want to remind you, Juan Guaido, the opposition leader, his uh, object today was to try and get as many protesters out to take that message to the military to say, join us. There were literally only a few dozen protesters uh, that turned out in uh, one military installation that we were at, S. C. they were pleading, saying Venezuela is dying. I mean, the good news is we didn't see the Confrontations that we had seen earlier in the week. But this is definitely an opposition movement that re- remains stalled right now, especially given the very dramatic events of this week. You know, and you have to put that, see, in stark contrast to, you know, the stirring uh, military photo opportunities by Nicolas Maduro uh, this week. You can't help but see him as emboldened through all this. He was certainly trying to give that message. I want you to listen now to him telling his soldiers, look, we need to be ready in case there is in his words, a fight with the U.S. empire. Take a
1: listen. I will never give up. You do not ever give up in combat, in, combat, in resistance, and in victory.
4: You know, I hate to break it to everyone, but whatever, uh, this is a zero-sum game. It always has been between the opposition and the government. And if Juan Guaido is losing ground, that means Nicolas Maduro is gaining ground. It may not be anything that the Trump administration wants to hear at this point. But remember, the opposition is listening closely to the Trump administration as well. And those confusing remarks from, you know, the national security team and Secretary Pompeo saying one thing about Russia's involvement and Donald Trump saying another is making the opposition think, look, who can we trust? Who we can right. we can count on? And that's when a lot of backroom negotiations are going on still at this point. Essie? Paula Newton, live in
1: Crocus Thanks very much. So suffice it to say, things are very bad in Venezuela. So what should the U.S. do about it, if anything? Why does what's happening there matter to us? Well, let's discuss with CNN national security analyst Samantha Vinograd and Juan González former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Latin America under President Obama. Um, Sam, I want to break this down into a few layers, starting first with the humanitarian crisis. It's now the worst in the Western Hemisphere. Three million refugees and migrants have fled. There may be as many as 5.3 million by the end of this year, rivaling the scale of Syria's. Nearly 90 percent of the country lives below the poverty line. Children are malnourished and diseased. The Organization of American States say that newborns in Syria have a better chance of survival than those born in Venezuela today. Now, Sam, you and I have talked about foreign policy a lot, addressing many different theaters, and I know firsthand how difficult it is to get attention on humanitarian crises, quote unquote, over there. But why should this particular point matter to us? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Well, SC, as you just
3: mentioned, you and I have discussed the work that I do with UNICEF, IRC, and other organizations who are active in in Venezuela, as well as active in other humanitarian crises in our own hemisphere. I don't think there is any chance that anyone is going to mistake President Trump, Secretary of State Pompeo, or John Bolton for great humanitarians. They adhere to a double standard diet when it comes to humanitarian crises in our own hemisphere and around the world. The suffering of the Venezuelan people is so certainly a consideration for the administration when they seek to support uh, Juan Guaido. But let's not forget, President Trump cut off assistance to Northern Triangle countries, Mm -hmm. which was being used to ameliorate humanitarian situations on the ground. Juan and I spent many hours in the windowless situation room talking about leadership transitions around the world and, frankly, leaders that we would like to see leave power for a variety of policy reasons. My conclusion, SC, is that this decision to try to topple what the administration calls the Troika of tyranny is driven by politics. It's not driven by policy. We have Nicolas Maduro, who is a socialist leader, and if he wasn't, SC, I think we'd see a lot less attention paid by the administration to the humanitarian crisis underway.
1: Well, Juan, um, next I want to go to geopolitics. John Bolton others have made the point that our intervention is important here because if we don't, Russia will. Break that down for us.
2: Well, I, well actually, I think that the um, administration's interventions have... I think it's been fortunate that they haven't actually ruined what has been uh, the formation of a coalition of 50 countries that don't recognize Nicolás Maduro as the legitimate president. Um, that coalition depends on non-intervention, military or otherwise, by the United States. And the rhetoric that the United States has been using when it discusses military options have actually led to statements from the Spanish and others saying that they would never support that. And so I think the the crisis is real in Venezuela, where you have a president, Maduro, that stole the election last year. Uh, you have those millions of people that have left the country. Right now, the asylum applications in the United States, the, great, the largest numbers from Venezuelans at 200, nearly 250,000 uh, last year, 1 million in Colombia, a threat to the economy. There are cartels, drug cartels that are operating with abandon. So there's something that, is, that needs to be done. It needs to be done immediately. But the U.S. acting alone could actually undermine the entire effort.
1: Well, Sam, lastly, there's um, a ton of oil in Venezuela. What role does that play? What role should that play in our decision making? Well, there is a ton
3: of oil, and that's why it's interesting that President Trump chose to rightfully sanction PDVSA to remove some of that oil offline as part of our pressure campaign, while he simultaneously calls on OPEC to increase production to try to offset rising energy prices. But President Trump, regardless of the fact that Venezuela has oil, is really doing a uh, strategic two-step here. He is increasing pressure on members of the Maduro uh, team and his associates by putting on these sanctions, while also trying, as we found out last week, to covertly message to members of Maduro's power base that if they flip and if they go over to the other side, there are great benefits to them. That would be a smart strategy if President Trump was not openly undercutting Secretary Secretary of State Pompeo and other members of his team while they try to implement this strategy.
1: Sam, Juan, stay right there, because I want to talk about Republicans and Democrats and what they think we should do in Venezuela next. It's confusing. (laughs) I'm back. We're discussing the crisis in Venezuela and what, if anything, the U.S. should do about it. I still have Juan Gonzalez and Sam Vinograd with me. Guys, um, to look at U.S. policy on this is confusing. Uh, Wall Street Journal headline sums it up for the left. Democrats strain for a unified message on Venezuela. You've got Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer supporting the recognition of Juan Guaido. Others, like Bob Menendez and Elliot Engel, however, say Venezuela should hold another election. And it's not any better on the right. The Trump administration has sanctioned allies of Maduro, but Republicans are divided on military options. Lindsey Graham recently tweeted Cuba, Russia send troops to prop Maduro up in Venezuela while we talk sanction. Where is our aircraft carrier? Meanwhile, Marco Rubio is not calling for military intervention. Juan, why do you think policy on Venezuela is so muddled on both sides? Uh, One word, Florida. Uh, And so I
2: think, unfortunately, uh, my critique of this administration, they've done some things correctly, including launching individual sanctions against drug traffickers. Mm -hmm. But the other policies don't seem to be part of any broader plan, and they seem geared toward uh, winning electoral votes in 2020. I I mean, among Democrats, I think the majority of Democrats, Democratic leadership, but also uh, uh, the House Democrats have actually introduced legislation that recognizes that uh, Nicolás Maduro is responsible for the crisis, that there is an urgent need for a humanitarian response, and that you need to escalate international pressure. So the three pieces of legislation,